Thank you, Leo, Carol, and Joshua. I love that passage of scripture that reminds us that one day when Jesus comes again, we're going to beat our swords into plowshares. We'll not have war anymore. We'll not have terrorism anymore. We'll not have all these things that, that we struggle with today. And so as we go into Christmas, let's remember the reason for the season. Let's remember that we still have a couple weeks left to really prepare our hearts, to prepare our families to prepare ourselves really to celebrate what Christmas is about. And it's about the coming Savior. You know, our coming Savior has been the theme since the fall of man. Been the theme since the fall of man. I mean, when, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God at that time pronounced judgment, but he promised the coming of a Savior. And from that moment on, we looked for a Savior to come. After thousands of years, finally that Savior came. We know him as Jesus, and we celebrate his birth this season. But then after that, we're looking for Jesus to come back, because he is going to come back. And so Christmas isn't just about looking back at the coming Savior. Christmas is also about looking forward to when Jesus will come back again. Last week, we talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth, the first characters of the Christmas story who are often forgotten. If you weren't here, let me really challenge you either to get a CD of that message or go online and listen to it because it's an important message for all of us as we enter into the Christmas season. Today I want to talk about the high cost of Christmas. Now if you've been out there shopping for Christmas toys, you already got an idea about the high cost of Christmas, don't you? I mean things have got crazy expensive out there. Now, now here's a gift if you really want to be a hero this Christmas. And you, I mean, you really want to go all out for your grandkids, for your kid, whatever it is, here's the gift for you. A luxury dragon theme playhouse that you can get for just $39,995. It's a bargain at that price. Can you believe that? That is actually a gift that you can get. My first house back in the 19, early 80s was $36,000. This one's $39,000. Well, as you know, I, I've got some grandkids. Uh, my, my, my youngest uh, uh, grandson was here last week, and many of you got to meet him. And I've got a granddaughter on the way in February, and Stella's been saying, you know, maybe, maybe we should get them another car seat. And, and in fact, she said, maybe we should get a couple car seats for us for when the kids come down. I said, well, uh, what are we talking here? And she said, oh, well, you know, we got to get a good one. We got to get a safe one, because this is our grandkids. So we, we could get the Kleckfunf convertible car seat for only $469.99, and we're talking three. I said, I'll go to Home Depot, get some rope. I'll make them secure in the back seat. Don't you worry about that. My grandson, Austin, who celebrates his 11th birthday tomorrow, Pearl Harbor Day, yeah, December 7th. He, this kid is a real hands-on kind of guy. I mean, he loves Legos, and he puts things together and tears things apart, and he, he, he's a brainiac kind of kid. So we're thinking, what should we get with him? Well, why don't we get him one of those robotic kits that you can put together? You, you can build a robot. So I said, okay, what's this one looking like? Well, she said, well, we can get the BioLoid Premium Human Robotic Kit for only $1,199. Now, do you notice how it's always 99 cents or $99? I mean, it's like at $1,200, no way, I'm not getting that thing. $1,199, well, maybe I'll get that thing, you know? Like the dollar is really going to make the difference. 
How about this one? The solo wheel hover tracks. $1,495. This is one of the top toys out there this Christmas. I actually saw one of these things in action when I was down in Trinidad. One of the kids down there had one. They're amazing. You stand on that thing and just go all over the place, and you can turn circles. You can go forward. You, you can go. They are really amazing. It's like you're, you're just hovering off the ground. They're on a wheel, but, 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 but and of course, you've got to have more than one, because if you've got more than one grandchild, and one, you can't, it's going to be so popular. So go out and get a couple of those. All right, so after all this, here's a real deal. This is going to sound good to you now. Maybe you got that sweet little daughter, that sweet little granddaughter. Well, you, you can get the Adora Doll Accessory Deluxe Stroller for only $84.99. Only, that, that's a bargain compared to these others. And maybe you got a grandson or a son. Well, you, you can go with the Hot Wheels Terrain Twister for only $83.84. Are you kidding me? We used to get Hot Wheels for my son when he was growing up. They were like a buck fifty. The high cost of Christmas. It's getting ridiculous. But listen to me. None of that, none of it, compares to the high cost of the original Christmas. We look back, and even in our Christmas pageants and all that, we, we, we celebrate this. And we, we, we talk about Mary, the virgin who gave birth to the Savior of the world, but like with so many other Bible characters, there's such a tendency, there's such a temptation to kind of make it some mythological story. But we've got to remember, this really happened. This really happened to a young, probably teenage girl, maybe 15, 16 at the oldest. Her life was radically transformed in an instant. It really happened. The story is recorded in Luke chapter 1. Beginning in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. We saw that angel last week. That's the same angel that appeared to Zechariah in the temple when he was offering the incense offering to God. A town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. You know, you know we, we, we saw in the, in, in the video, but we, we don't get the idea of what an engagement was. Today, an engagement, we're dating, we're happy, we're planning a wedding and all that. But back in that day, be, be, when you got engaged, it was, number one, it was, it was an orchestrated relationship. Your parents decided who you were going to marry. You didn't fall in love and go out and date and get proposed to and all that. It was an arranged affair. And what would happen is, is, is an intermediator would intermediate for the two families and come up with, with the right plan and the right contract and the right deal, then the deal would be sealed. They would be officially then betrothed, which meant that they were legally married. But they would not come together as husband and wife for the period of one year. There wouldn't be the marriage ceremony. There wouldn't be the marriage consummation. And primarily, that was for two reasons. One was to give the groom enough time to do what Joseph was doing in the video, to, to get the household in order, to make sure everything was there so that when he finally brought his bride home, they could immediately begin a family together. But the second reason, and probably more important, was to prove the purity of the bride. A period of one year. We know the gestation period of a woman in, in, in pregnancy is nine months. So they made it one year just to make sure there was, there was some buffer zone on either side to make sure she was pure. 
And so that's the situation that Mary's in. Verse 28 says, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Last week we saw the same kind of thing happen to Zechariah. He was a priest of God. He is in the, the holy place of God. He's offering incense to God. The angel shows up and he's terrified. What's amazing is Mary's not terrified at the presence of the angel. She's troubled at what he's saying. I'm favored by God? I'm highly favored? Goes on to say, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. What an exciting moment that must have been. Because it was every Hebrew woman's dream to have a baby. As we saw last week, the, the rabbis taught that, that for a Jewish man not to ever get a wife, he was considered excommunicated by God. But a Jewish man who had a wife who couldn't have children was considered also excommunicated by God. So right off the bat, here's an angel saying, that's not going to happen to you. You're going to have a son. You're going to name him Jesus. And it probably flashed into your mind, no, you mean Joseph. That's my husband. It's going to be Joseph. No, no, no Jesus goes on to say, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. I wonder if she had a flash and thought, well, Joseph, he's a good guy, but son of the most high, I don't know that he's that good, you know. But the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. Now her eyes are going to get as big as saucers because she's a Jewish girl. And every Jewish girl's dream would be that maybe she, maybe she would be the mother of Messiah coming into the world. He really solidifies it, said, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. At that point, there is no question in her mind what this angel is saying to her. He is declaring to her that God has found her favored over all the women of all time. Not just that moment, not just all the women in Jerusalem or in Nazareth at this point. She has found Favor in God over all women throughout all history, even to today. And the favor was this, that she would be the mother of the Savior of the world. She responded in verse 34, how will this be, asked Mary, since I'm a virgin? Remember last week when Zacharias said, said to the angel, well, how can I be sure of this? He was wanting some kind of sign. He was wanting some kind of assurance that what the angel was telling him about having a son, he and his wife Elizabeth in their old age, remember the angel told him that God had sent him and because he didn't believe, he was not going to be able to speak until the birth of the baby and that's what happened. Mary doesn't ask for a sign. She goes, you got to give me something. She says, how will this be? We see her character. We see her godliness. We see her heart for God. She doesn't question and say, well, well, how can I be sure? She goes, how is this going to happen? The angel goes on in verse 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Then he goes on to encourage her. And he says, even Elizabeth, your relative, we know from Scripture it was her cousin, an older cousin. He says, Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month already. 
See, this is an encouragement to Mary that this is really going to happen and that God all of a sudden is starting to work again. Remember, we learned last week that it had been 400 years since Malachi, the last prophet of Israel, prophesied and had a word for Israel from God. 400 years had passed, no word from God. All of a sudden, God was working again. And he said, Mary, I know this is a lot for you, but you know what? Even your cousin Elizabeth, your relative Elizabeth, who's up there in age, who's way past childbearing, you know what? She's six months into her pregnancy. We saw last week that for the first five months, Elizabeth was secluded. She wouldn't tell anybody about it. Then he says, for nothing is impossible with God. He says, Mary, nothing's impossible. I know it's overwhelming. I know it it just doesn't make sense, but you've just got to trust God. I love Mary's response in verse 38. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Unquestioning faith, unquestioning obedience. Not, yeah, but, but wait a minute, let's talk about this. She just said, you know what? I'm the Lord's servant. David the psalmist, in a psalm that I love to to quote to myself many times, he said, my times are in your hands. And it's so true. You know, everything about me, everything about you. Mary got it all the way back there as a little teenage girl. She said, you know what? God, my times are in your hand. Whatever you want is what I want because I live to be your servant. Now, in this whole passage, the next phrase is the one that has stunned me over and over and over again every time I have read it. And here's the next phrase. It says, then the angel left her. Do you get the drama of that phrase? Then the angel left her. Hey, angel didn't go to her mom and dad. Angel didn't go to the rabbi and say, hey, this is what's going on around here, so you know, this, this girl, she's okay. They, they, they didn't go to the community center. They, they, the angel just laid this on her. She, in unbelievable faith, accepted it, and the angel was gone just as quick as he had appeared. Talk about the high cost of Christmas, huh? She had to go to her mom and dad and say, Mom and Dad, I'm pregnant. But, 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 but I've not done anything wrong. See, because an angel came to me, Mom and Dad, and an angel came to me and told me that I'm favored by God and, and, and the, the child in me is, is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Come on, Mom and Dad, Grandma, Grandpa, what would you be thinking? Don't you know that for the rest of her life, there was a cloud over her character. There was a cloud over her reputation. Don't you know that she was the one that women would get in the corner and and people, she'd walk down the street and they'd be passing that gossip about that. (laughs) An angel visitor. (laughs) Don't you know that life was never ever the same again for that young woman, Mary. 
We just follow the, the, tra- the trauma and the, the drama in her life. And ultimately, this, this child that the angel talks to her about, she has to witness being nailed to a cross, being stripped, being scourged, being spit upon, being jeered at by his own countrymen, those who possibly he had even healed. For Mary, Christmas came at a really, really high cost. But th- th- there's another character. That was Mary's betrothed, Joseph. God did intervene there. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, in other words, before they had a union, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph was a righteous man, did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. See, under the Hebrew law, Joseph, with this discovery that the woman he's betrothed to is pregnant during this one-year purification period, he had three choices. The one choice was, by the law, she was considered an adulteress. And under the Hebrew law, adulteresses could be stoned to death. He, he, He could have immediately went down to the rabbis. He could have gone down to the Sanhedrin. He could have said, I'm betrothed to this woman and she's pregnant. And they would have had no hesitation if he would have said, I want her publicly stoned to death. And they would have dug a hole. As we've seen horrified in some of the videos of what has happened in the Middle East, and the community one by one would have taken rocks and thrown them at her head until she was dead. He had another option, and that option was just to divorce her, just to call the whole thing off. Now, he could do that publicly and bring great shame on her and her family, and from a human perspective, who'd blame him? But Joseph was a righteous man. See, Joseph... Inside Joseph was was another gear that was the same similar kind of gear that was inside Mary. He didn't even hesitate. His faith was so great in God that he was not one of these guys who was going to have somebody killed over something. He was not one of these guys who were going to publicly disgrace her. He said, you know what, I'll just do this quietly. I'll just divorce her and we'll just go our separate ways and go on with our lives. The third thing he could do would be to marry her, but that was out of the question. I, I, I mean, that would bring great social disgrace upon him. That would bring great family disgrace upon him for just to overlook something that huge in the culture. So he was just considering, you know what I'll do? I'll just real quietly, we'll just end this thing and go on with our lives. Matthew 1, verse 20. But after he had considered this, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, as as I reread this and as I refocused on it in preparation to share this passage with you today, something dawned on me that had never dawned on me before, and that is that possibly Joseph exercised even greater faith than Zechariah or Mary. 
You say, well, well, what do you mean? Well, Zechariah and Mary had a physical visitation by an angel of the Lord named Gabriel. Joseph just had a dream. It says that in a dream, an angel, undoubtedly Gabriel, the same angel, visited him and said, don't be afraid, take Mary. That which is in her is a holy child because that child is going to save his people from his sins. Now, he'd be start connecting the dots too. But how many times have you had a really weird dream? And you woke up the next morning, and oftentimes, we, 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 was it real? Did that really happen? And we start looking around until we can regain our, our focus and say, oh, it was just a dream. Don't you know that Joseph could have woken up the next morning and just said, man, whoa, that was a weird dream. But he was a righteous man. And as a righteous man, by the way, living in a very unrighteous time, he was connected to God. He wasn't a religious man. He didn't have a religious experience with God through the Hebrew law. He had a relationship with God. And Jesus said, they will know me. I will know them. They will know me by my voice. See, he knew God. And when he got up, there was no question in his mind. And so it says in verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Once again, he takes her immediately home. I, I, I'm supposing they didn't even wait for the rest of that one year period to be done because that, that was history by now. That, that, the whole reason for that was done. I, I think he just got up and said, come on, Mary, you're welcome home. Come on to my house. We're going to build a life together. And there's not even an evidence of him questioning the fact that his son would not be named after him, but his son would be named Jesus. Don't you know, Joseph paid a high cost that Christmas. Mary going to her family saying, I'm pregnant, but, but I'm a virgin. I never did anything. People go, oh, yeah, probably your own family are tossing that one around. Joseph goes to his family and says, yeah, I, I, it's not what it looks like. Don't you know that, that his siblings, his mom and dad said, Joseph, don't you dare do that. Don't you take that woman. Don't you bring disgrace on yourself. Don't you bring disgrace on our family. Don't you take that woman. Probably his friends, his buddies say, come on, Joseph, what are you, crazy? Don't you know the pressure that must have been upon him not to take Mary as his wife? Don't you know? Later on through life, he was also the subject of ridicule and gossip by, by the male community. I <laughs> said, Joseph, that wimp. I'd have never taken a woman like that as my wife. What's wrong with him? Not only that, but think about it. Joseph as, as the leader of his home. He, he's preparing it all, as we, as we saw in the video. He, he's trying to make the, the furniture, and he's a carpenter. And, but, but he's trying to get it all just perfect. He wants to be the perfect husband. He wants to be the perfect dad. And we find that, that shortly after Jesus is born, he's got to, well, even before, he's got to haul his wife on the back of a donkey to another land to give birth to their child. And then he has to leave his family and everything when Herod 
offered the decree to, 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 to kill all the babies two years and younger. He had to leave his homeland and go down to a foreign land in Egypt and live until Herod had died and angels said he could come back. His whole life was changed. Never again would any of the plans that he had from a little boy come to fruition. That's the high cost of the original Christmas. But you know, what started that first Christmas has continued through Christendom. That, that same spirit, that, that same devotion, that same zeal, that same righteous fervor for, the, for God and, and a relationship with him has continued since Mary, since Joseph. Hebrews, that great chapter of faith in the New Testament that lists all the, the listing of some of the greatest characters of the Bible and why God commended them for their faith. He gets down the list and he starts talking about other people anonymously. And he says in verse 35b, starting in the latter part of verse 35, he says, others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. Who's he talking about? He's talking about those early Christians. He's talking about those people who came to faith in this Jesus Christ who became part of what originally was called the way. Did you know what that, that's what Christianity was originally called? It was called the way? These people would not renounce their faith. When they were captured, when they were, when, when they were arrested, they would get, be given the opportunity to denounce this Christ, to denounce this, this way movement. And one by one, they would refuse to do it. Why? so that they could gain a greater resurrection, a greater reward. See, their eyes weren't here on earth. Their eyes were on heaven. But look what it goes on to say. Verse 37, they were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world wasn't worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves. And holes in the grounds. In other words, they were fugitives on the run. Fugitives who, when caught, were treated in the most heinous ways. You know, imagine being thrown on a board and sawed in two because of your faith in Jesus Christ. What started at that first Christmas has manifested itself over and over and over again. In Christendom, we've heard the stories just recently in the Middle East of how Christians drug out of their house by Muslim extremists have been given the opportunity to recant their faith and to accept Islam, and they have refused only to watch their children beheaded before them, their wives to be beheaded before them, them themselves, many of them beheaded or crucified, some put in cages and burned alive, some put in cages and, and, and dipped in, in a lake until they drowned. We have so many to be so thankful for. You, you know why? I had the opportunity as a nine-year-old little boy to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior because of everyone who came before me who would not bend the knee, who would not bow down, who would not recant, who carried on the spirit of Mary and Joseph in the first Christmas. 
That's the reason we still have the gospel. That's the reason we still have the opportunity for eternal life through Jesus Christ. Now it's our turn to carry the baton of faith. It's our turn. I, I, I look at the, all of Christendom since, since Mary and Joseph is one big continuous relay race that will end when the last person crosses the threshold of heaven. Do you ever see a relay race, a relay race in the Olympics? They, the, the runners have a baton. I used to run this in track when I was in school. I know you don't believe I could have ever run, but I did. And, and what you would do is you would run your, your leg of the race. And in mine, it was a, a 220. I would run 220 yards of the race and give the baton to somebody else. And, and everything, the timing of passing on that baton just has to be perfect because if you drop the baton, then you're disqualified from the race. And, and once you slap that baton into the other person's hand, then they run their leg of the race. And I remember running those races and I'd be there and, and ready to go and, and already have my feet chopping and, and I'd go off in that, that exchange zone and run and I'd feel that baton come into my hand. You never look for it. And then I would run for everything I had until I could slap that baton into the hand of the next runner. And then I would watch with excitement as that runner would gain a little bit more ground on his competitors until the race was over and we were victorious. That's what we're doing today. Mary and Joseph handed the baton off to the disciples. The disciples handed the baton off to the first Christians. The first Christians handed them off to the second century Christians and so on and so on and so on down the line. And now we have the baton in our hand. And it's our time, it's our turn to pass that baton on to the next generations so that the gospel of Jesus Christ and the light of Christ will never be extinguished. It's our turn to run the race set out before us. That's what we're going to be all about at the bridge. That's what this church has been about. That's what this church will continue to be about. We are going to be a bridge helping people to cross over to a better place, cross over to a stronger connection with God than they'd ever had, cross over from eternal death to eternal life. That's who we are. You're going to hear me say over and over again that we do not attend the bridge. We are the bridge. Every one of us, we are the bridge. Jesus said in Matthew 9, beginning in verse 35, he was looking over a large crowd of, of Hebrews, of, of Israelites. And he said, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassions on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. Even then, before Jesus went to the cross, he said, look at all the people out there. Look at everyone out there. They need me. They need God. They need forgiveness. They need eternal hope. Look at them, they're, they're everywhere. So the, the problem isn't that people aren't out there with need. The problem isn't that there aren't out there people who, who will not respond. The problem is no one's taken the gospel to them. He says, let's pray to God that he'll raise up more people who will go out into the harvest. Let me give you another Christmas challenge. 
Last week, my Christmas challenge was to you from the story of Zechariah that maybe you will be God's hero this Christmas. Maybe you'll be one of his unlikely heroes who will take hope and take encouragement to somebody else. My challenge personally for us this morning is this Christmas, give Jesus yourself. Give him yourself. Make that your present to him. How many times have we said, you know, I, I really need to, to read my Bible more. I, I really need to pray more. I really do need to get involved in a ministry. I really do need, but, but I, not, not now. This Christmas, would you pray? Would you consider making your gift to Jesus, whose birthday we're celebrating, you? And, and, and say, God, Jesus, I'm going to get involved at a level greater than I've ever been involved before. I, I'm not going to attend the bridge. I'm going to be the bridge. I am going to serve. I'm going to give. I'm going to share. I'm going to connect with other people in the church. I'm not going to make this a religious experience. I'm going to build a relationship with you. I'm going to cross a bridge myself to a better place. Jesus said in Luke 9.23, Jesus said, to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross when? Daily and follow me. In this life, it's so easy to get wrapped up in so many different things in life that, that we don't take up the cross daily. We compartmentalize God. We compartmentalize Jesus like every other compartment in our life. And well, all right, Sunday morning, 9 o'clock a.m., that's God, your time. And then after that, I'm going to meet friends at what restaurant and have brunch. And then and God's just a compartment. But God doesn't want to be just a compartment. God wants to be part of every compartment of our life. And that's what giving ourselves as a present to Jesus at Christmas is all about. This Christmas, will you give yourself to Christ he said, no, I'm, I'm already saved. I already trusted Christ. I'm not talking about trusting Christ. Will you give yourself to the cause of Christ? Will you be the bridge? Let's bow our heads. Father, we have so many to be so thankful for, starting with, with Mary and Joseph who gave up so much and who took such a great risk to be faithful to you, but Scripture shows us they were, they were unhesitating in their obedience to you, even though the cost was going to be great. God, it would appear that Jesus is going to come back soon. Everything is just lining up prophetically and, and historically and, and politically and economically. Everything is just lining up to, to match the descriptions of what Jesus said would be happening when the second coming happening. And God, we, we have such little time left. Help us. Help us, God, to give ourselves to you this Christmas. Help us not to just come and attend the bridge. Help us to be the bridge. 
right now, wherever you're leading us. And you may be leading someone to get involved in some ministry. You may be leading someone to forgive somebody. You might be leading someone to, to get involved with tithing and someone else to, to get involved with whatever. But God, as you speak to us, let us be like Mary. Let us be like Joseph. Not Zacharias said, well, no, what's in it for me? Or how do I know this is going to happen? But, but like Mary and Joseph who said, I'm yours, God. My time is in your hands. Use it for whatever you want to use it for. We give ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our deacons, our ushers are going to come forward. We're going to receive communion this morning. And as we do that, let's consider he who made the greatest cost, paid the greatest cost of all at Christmas, and that was Jesus. I'm not talking about Easter. I'm not talking about the crucifixion. We'll talk about that in March. I'm talking about just coming here. He who is omniscient, he who is omnipresent, he who is omnipotent, willingly made himself dependent. He came as a baby. God, in the flesh of man, came willing to have some woman change his dirty diapers. He came in his omnipotence, willing to, Catch the cold, the flu, just like we do. He put so many limitations on himself when he left the glory of heaven to come here and live, just to live with us, not even considering what he ultimately did for us. See, and what Jesus says and asking us to take up our cross daily. All he's asking us to do is exactly what he did for God the Father. He modeled it for us. He didn't say, all right, you guys. He, he lived it. He did it. He modeled it. In every human experience, even temptation Jesus had. But ultimately he did pay the greatest cost of Christmas. Because he was born into this world for a purpose. And that purpose was to die. That purpose was to be a sacrifice for sin on the cross. Jesus himself said it in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That, that's what he said of himself. If you're here today, let me ask you a question. What's going to happen to you when, when this thing we call life is done? What, what preparations are you making for that? How's that going to play out for you? So many people who even pause in life to consider that immediately start thinking, okay, what kind of person am I? Am I, am I good enough? Am I going to make it? Am, are my good works going to outweigh my bad works? Never going to happen. If I could earn my way to heaven, if you could earn your way to heaven by being a good person, Jesus never needed to come. The reason Jesus came is I can't and neither can you. That's why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. My greatest need, your greatest need, 
in all of eternity is the forgiveness of sin. Is being adopted by Jesus Christ into the family of God. Have you ever done that? If not, you can. God made it simple. He made it so simple that a child could do it. So how do I do it? You just transfer your faith unto Jesus. The Bible says in in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the conditions. That Jesus is Lord. Not me, not you, not anything else. Jesus is Lord. He's the only way. There's no plan B. It's not, well, we're all trying to be good and we're all going to, no, it's Jesus. That's it. And that we believe with the Bible, what God has said about him, that he died, was buried, and he rose again. If you've never done that, you can do it through a simple prayer right now. Just say, God, all right, I get it now. I'm never going to be good enough. I can't work my way to heaven. That's why you sent Jesus, God. And Jesus, I get it now, because you were willing to die on the cross, because you were willing to pay the price, because you were willing to endure the cost. God has given you alone the authority to forgive sin. And so, Jesus, would you do that for me right now? Jesus, forgive my sin. Today, I confess with my mouth, you are Lord. There is no other way back to God but through your sacrifice on the cross. Today, I confess with you, with my mind, with my mouth, and with my heart that you did die, you were buried, and rose again. Jesus, today, I believe on your name. Today, I believe on the name of the Son of God as my Savior for eternal life. Scripture says in 1 John 5, 13, these things are right to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. See, Jesus left us this ceremony that we call communion that he first shared with his disciples on the night he was betrayed as a reminder of what it cost him to give us eternal hope. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he passed it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner, Jesus took the cup, and he passed it to his disciples, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death. Until he what? Until he what? Until he comes again. Our coming Savior, he's coming back. This time, let's be ready. Amen? Father, thank you for these amazing people. Thank you for your love. Thank you for everything you've done for us. And God, thank you for those who have come before us, who have not bowed down, who have not recanted their faith at great cost. Now, Lord, help us to understand it's our turn. It's our turn to be the bridge. It's our turn to reach others. And the fields are so ripe around us. There's housing developments going up within a couple miles of our church everywhere. The harvest is plentiful, but we need workers. God, help us all this Christmas to give you the gift of ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.